Hey guys, welcome to Bar Talk Podcast. Uh, when am I a for a week there? Had a, a lot of problems going on, very busy, uh, some internet troubles, etc., etc. But hey, we're back. And uh, have you heard? We're on iHeartRadio. That's pretty cool, right, guys? We're on iHeartRadio and a bunch of other platforms. All you have to do is go to anchor.fm front slash bar talk podcast, and you can select a listening platform of your choice. Uh, full list there. I don't believe iHeartRadio shows up there yet, so I will link that somewhere during the show. I'll link our iHeartRadio page. Uh, hmm. Let's bring Audrey up. Let's see. I, I guess I got to do this. There you are. Found you. There he is. I'm still figuring out this software. Yeah, I uh, you. Okay, so, uh, yeah, guys, we still have a Halloween costume contest we're hoping to get rolling here. Uh, gave the sign-up email the last show we had. I'm going to give it again. It's uh, barpodcast2020 at gmail.com. Uh Geez, Audrey, what, what, uh, what, 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 how, how could people, what are they supposed to enter? What kind of costumes do they have to have? Oh, I have to pull my list. We have lists um, going on. All right. So we have the three categories. I, uh, where one person can only do two different costumes for each, uh, one for each category, only two categories. Um, scariest, hottest, and most creative. Um, we have no nudity, obviously. Oh, man. You'll live, I'm sure. Yeah. He does that right in front of me, too. Um, full costumes only, not just your makeup, which, you know, by all means, put on makeup, do whatever you do. Um, but not just your face makeup. Um, entry picture needs your full name and who and what your costume is or what is what it is of so that way we know you know what what you're planning on dressing up as just in case we're a little bit dumb that day um 18 plus uh no minors are allowed to enter uh obviously keep it clean we don't want to go into uh unlawful acts or illegal actions that type of thing no Keep it legal, guys. <laughs> and I think that's it. I don't think we've uh, fully got the prizes completely figured out, but they're they're going to be good. Oh, we're going to have great prizes, guys. Great prizes. All right, so I'm going to go ahead. Uh, we're going to bring Bruno up. Bruno's here tonight. Uh, he's been having some family uh, problems uh, within the past few weeks, and Everything seems to be going a little bit better. Thank God. Uh, Bruno is live now. Hey, Hello, everyone. So I'm trying to find us on here. So where, where do I have to find it to get set up? Oh, here we go. Okay. Found me? Yeah, I found you. I was trying to... Uh, I couldn't get the live before for some reason. I don't know why. Let me turn it off. All right. I have to share it still. Give me a couple of minutes, and uh, I want to share it to my page and to some other pages. You do, Bruno. Uh, we will slowly start to roll in conversations. 
we're going to have a two-part show tonight, guys, because we kind of gypped you last week. We weren't here on Saturday. No pre-recorded, no live, no nothing, guys. Uh, so we're going to give you a little bit of a double header tonight. Uh, we're going to bring up part one of the show where we're going to be talking about transplants and their effects on people's personalities or lack of, uh, according to some doctors, uh, claim it to be pseudoscience. Uh, some people claim it to be actual science. Uh, have a couple websites. Uh, let's see. Uh, different transplants that changed people's personalities. Uh, I, there, there were... Uh, Actually, as a side note, how about these people having facial transplants? That's crazy. That's yeah, a little crazy. That's nuts. Uh, there was a man by the name of Simon who apparently had a, a very, very clean way of speaking who now swears like a sailor uh, since having a real, uh, liver transplant. Some of the stuff is weird. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a gentleman by the name of Henry who had a kidney transplant who now has acquired a taste for anything bitter uh, more specifically beer imagine that you get a transplant and you become an alcoholic he's probably lucky he didn't get a liver transplant and then become an alcoholic right uh, exactly. then we have uh people that had kidney transplants uh they had different different uh tastes for foods and drinks uh let's see what else uh, okay, here's the one. Uh, this this girl's name was Jennifer, and she ha had a lung transplant. Uh, I actually talked to Bruno about this before the show. Audrey, I don't know if you read this one at all. Um, it sounds familiar, so I might have uh, skimmed it. Okay, well, she had cystic fibrosis, so she needed a lung transplant. And the lungs that were donated to her were the lungs of a smoker, and she got the donor's lung cancer and died 16 months after the transplant. Aren't they supposed to actually, like, inspect all that? Yeah. That there where, where, yeah, what state, where, what country was that in? Uh, this was in London. Yeah, okay. Because America, you're right. I think that they would have, they go through all this testing and make sure that the lungs are clean before they give them to somebody. Yeah, if I'm correct, you can't be a smoker in order to don't, you know, donate. I would think you be, right. You should be a non-smoker. <laughs> yeah. If you want my kidney, you're screwed. Uh, by the way, uh, Carla down in chat. Hi, Carla. It's, it has been a while. It's nice to see you guys. Uh, Bruno, Carla says hello. Hello, Carla. I'm just getting on to the thing, so I haven't seen comments yet. So, uh, Nancy's here in chat. Nancy waved to us. Nancy, it's nice to see you again. Nancy. But yeah, can you imagine uh, getting a lung transplant and getting the lungs of somebody who had lung cancer? I mean, the hospital apologized. That's what, that's all that matters, right? Sorry you're going to die. What, what is that? Sorry you died from a transplant that saved your life. I'd see was, that a, was that a skunk that just came through? No, that's my dog. <laughs> no, I just saw the white tail. <laughs> They're puppy. <laughs> all right sorry to cut you off oh no no it's all good <laughs> uh, a by the name of sean had a heart transplant and now he loves to cook well, that's not a bad no it's that's good i mean a, a lot of doctors and this this goes into the people's calling it pseudoscience uh, a lot of doctors claim that after a traumatic experience uh, like a transplant it might make you think a little harder about life and change some things 
Right. So could it be right? Could it be something like that, or you know, who knows? Could it be a "You only live once"? Let me drink till I need a liver transplant. <laughs> you replaced one organ. Let's replace another one. It's it's right. like building your body from scratch. Right. Exactly. You know, but it's a you know a change in person. I, I echo. I guess. Uh, are, are you transplanting a piece of the person's soul? You're taking part of their, uh, I guess what they call it is, uh, what do they call it? Cell memory? Yeah, uh, cell, they, they, yeah, they were saying something about cell memory, that, that, that it's, not pretend, it's not potentially in your brain. It could be in your organs, cell, cell memory. Yeah, I mean. Doing something so often and you take that piece and put it in somebody else that it just, it, it wants the same things it had before kind of thing. Well, I would do a hand transplant if somebody was like a big poker player that has millions of bucks. <laughs> uh, who knows what other bad habits they have with those hands, Bruno? <laughs> uh, Bill. Bill had a heart transplant and became crazy for sports. After receiving the organ at 52 years old, Bill went on to become a medal-winning swimmer, cyclist, and runner. That's amazing. Uh, he used to lead a life of a cutthroat businessman. Uh, he was overweight, stressed, and working way too much before a heart attack stopped him in his tracks and nearly killed him. Uh, but now he is a transplant game sports star and has 28 gold medals from triathlon events. That's amazing. I mean, I, I guess I could understand where people say it's pseudoscience and it might have uh, some life-altering ramifications, you know, because he almost died. You know, it might make you it might make you want to take care of yourself a little better. Uh, one one sad one, that and it's right up there with with the lady that received a lungs transplant from a cancer patient, and this was the one that Audrey and I stumbled across that made us kind of want to bring this up. Uh, was a man by the name of Sonny Graham. He was sixty nine years old from Georgia, and he committed suicide after receiving the heart of a suicide victim who died in the same way. Uh, now, not only did Sonny commit suicide in the same way as the previous owner of that heart, uh, Sonny contacted his donor's widow, fell in love with her immediately, and ended up with him until he committed with her until he committed suicide. Now that's that's crazy, you know. In this, in the same exact way. Maybe it wasn't Sunny. Maybe it was her. Maybe. Suicide. Now, normally, when you commit suicide, you're not going to do that in a hospital or somewhere where somebody's going to take you and put you into a hospital. Now, does that mean like the person tried to commit suicide failed because you know, like they might have been brain dead but not dead? Like their heart didn't stop beating and then it turned out that then they used his heart or was it like, cause that's where I'm kind of confused on that. Like if you, if you think about it, somebody goes out in the woods and with a gun and tries to kill themselves. Once you're dead, you're dead. They can't use your organ after a certain amount of time. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess I would imagine this woman was in the house when it happened and immediately called 911. That, that would be, like maybe it was a failed attempt and they didn't actually, you know, 
make their heart stop beating, they got to the hospital, put them on ventilators or whatever he needed, and then let them go. That's a, po- the- right. that's a possibility. So yeah, like, but that's the only way I think about it is, you know, like if, if that was to happen, that, that would be the only way that would work. The bizarre twist on this was, is the story mirrors a plot in the 2003 movie, 21 Grams, in which Sean Penn plays a heart swap recipient patient who becomes obsessed with the widow of the man who gave him his heart. Yeah, they, they, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure if they, I would guess that's probably the inspiration behind it because that all happened, uh, I guess in 2008. Yeah. 2008 that that took place. Uh, on on the topic of suicides, that's actually where most of the people that are receiving face transplants uh, were usually failed suicide attempts, and that's who they're doing most of these face transplants on. Imagine walking down the seat in, uh, street and seeing somebody that you you've known or is a family member, and then you see their face practically yeah. on somebody else's. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be the exact same. Like they're ripping your whole face off and pl- plastering it on somebody else's face, but. It's like a holy crap moment because it's like, you know, that the skin for that. You know what it's a lot like? It's a lot like deja vu. You see what what you did there? You saw what I did there. (laughs) Uh, have Have either of you guys experienced any deja vu moments? I think everybody has. At some point in your life, you do probably. They say as you get older, you experience it less and less. Is that because you have experienced more and more through your life? Probably. Now, there is an actual scientific explanation or a supposed scientific explanation of what deja vu actually is. Uh, Under explanations, there is split perception explanation, memory-based explanation, uh, which I think that one's uh, pretty pretty self-explanatory, and yeah. dream-based explanation, which I also feel is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, there's our Alexa going. Uh, now, the, the split perception, uh, they say that deja vu, de, wow, I can't speak. They say that deja vu may happen if a person experienced the current sensory twice successfully. Should mean the first experience is a brief, degraded, oculated, or distracted, immediately followed by that. The second perception might be familiar because the person naturally related it to the first input. One possibility behind this mechanism is that the first experience involves shallow processing, which means that only some superficial physical attributes are extracted from the stimulus. So pretty much you're experiencing uh, you're experiencing something twice in rapid succession from different portions of your brain uh is is pretty much what that one boils down to so the portion of your brain that sees everything uh recognizes everything i would imagine nanoseconds before the rest of your brain kind of figures out the rest of what's going on i would imagine that's what that means nancy has a deja vu all the time really (laughs) a lot of people a lot of people that say people that very frequently experience deja vu, especially into the latter years of their lives, uh, generally the second half or so. Uh, so a lot of people say that people that experience deja vu in the latter halves of their lives actually have a lot of psychic tendencies. 
which I, I, I thought that was interesting. Also, I have to say that was considered pseudoscience as well. Uh, but it does follow trends from people who have been part of studies. Interesting. Yeah, deja vu. I I get I get deja vu once in a while. I haven't had it since we moved to this house, though. So maybe huh. I'm done experiencing shit, or or maybe the the stupid half of my brain caught up to the smart half of my brain, and I, <laughs> at the same time, I'm not sure which one that would be. But yeah, the deja vu always kind of captured my, I was captivated by it, if you will, uh, because it wasn't until recently that we actually had a scientific explanation of what it could be and, and, or probably is. Yeah. Which I, I found that kind of neat. Uh, also. Neat that they actually took the time to try to figure something as minimal as that out. Minimal, maybe, but think about what they actually learned about the human brain because we know next to nothing about it. It's you know, kind of fun your brain to think about your brain, and we know nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little weird. Uh, also, something interesting is there is several different uh, variations. Uh, deja vu is French, uh, and it means uh, what the hell does it mean? Already seen, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so different variations, uh, different different things that fall into the same category, uh, and one is called jamais vu, which means never seen, uh, and that's when somebody is in a familiar situation that's not recognized by that observer or that person. Uh, so it's like walking into work in the morning and not remembering a damn thing about what you're supposed to do. So it's kind of like Alzheimer's. Uh, kind of, but it's a, just a very quick, short snippet. Uh, that's something I have also experienced. For example, when you're going, uh, what, say, say you're downstairs in your living room and you think of something that you wanted to go get from your bedroom. And then by the time you get back up to your bedroom, you don't remember what the hell it was. Even though it was, I get that all the time. <laughs> that's what jamais vu is. Uh, yeah, most, I forget what I'm going to do. Most people uh, experience that. Uh, the other ones I'm not even going to attempt to I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Uh, I'm going to drop a link to the deja vu stuff in the chat below. It's uh, in there now. But yeah, I just I thought that was uh, something kind of neat to bring up. But the tran the transplant stuff, man, that's that's bizarre. That's bizarre that people are seemingly getting that get they're right that they're picking up the characteristic traits of the person that donated. Yeah, and think about if they picked up those characteristics, for example, say in a face transplant, not only do they look like the person now, but now they kind of act like them too. Like, I can't believe in the portion where, you know, like you, you get a kidney and then maybe, you know, you're hungry for potato chips and you never ate potato chips in your life. But it's, I, I think that's mostly because, uh, as I said before, once your body's used to something and then you take that piece and put it into somebody that causes, you know, the body that it just got transferred to, to want the same things because that's what it's used to. Um, right. comes down to the personality traits and let, in my opinion, if it's a part of the brain that you're trans, you know, transferring to somebody else, I don't see how that would do anything on a personality level. Now, like when it comes down to hunger and stuff like that, that's where I understand. But yeah. if it comes down to like uh, changing the fact that like your music preference, 
So you never listen to rock music. You got a lung transplant and all of a sudden you love rock music now. I don't think that's a thing. I, no. I, I, I don't personally see it. No, and there was a, a study done. Uh, it's, it's the largest study that was done with uh, transplant patients. Uh, and it was only done with 47 patients. There's not a very big pool of people to be able to do these kind of studies with. And only 6%, uh, which would be three patients, felt that their personality had changed due to a new heart, uh, a finding that could clearly be due to either random chance or the patients misattributing the real cause of any change in their personality, uh, which I, I think is accurate. I'd love to believe that people can actually transplant part of their soul into somebody else just because of the, the, the wow factor of it. Uh, I'm going to post, I'm going to post a link of that in chat. Uh, so people can kind of read through that article that calls it pseudoscience. Uh, that's yeah. what I'm now. The other, Go ahead. The, the other thing though, with the heart transplant, like you said, maybe the change of life is that somebody gets a second chance and now they've got a total change of life. It's mind over matter kind of deal. Right. So how, how much of that? But it, it's interesting that there is these studies out there that people with transplants have significantly noticed something different or are doing something different or act differently. Yeah. I mean, again, that could be a, wow, I got a new lease on life. Uh, only live once guys, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's change it up a little bit. That's, you know, that's the thing is, is that the case or not? You know, <laughs> like the, the complete taste in, for example, the, the, the gentleman that now loves beer. That's <laughs> beer's not really an acquired taste. I mean, it can be if you get the right ones and you start slowly changing over, but this guy just immediately, you know, wanted very bitter beer which is yeah. something he never wanted. And that, that comes down to like, a, did the transplant itself actually change that about him? Or, I mean, you, you would think, you know, they have the ability to change DNA now at this point. You know, does some sort of the DNA change when, when the transplant is done? Because you're taking somebody else's genetics, essentially, and dropping it into another person. You know, transplants don't always take for that same reason. And that could even be direct matches from, say, parents. So, you know, it's not a guaranteed, it's not guaranteed that it's going to work. Right. So is part of that DNA affecting the, the host DNA? That's something that I will probably never know unless, you know, some scientists figure it out and I read about it. But that's not something that I'll ever figure out on my own, you know. Yeah, if it ever came down to the, you know, they actually proved this scientifically, like 100%, this is what's going on, I probably wouldn't get a transplant. <laughs> but it's kind of, in, indirectly, it kind of sounds like you're being slightly possessed by something, in my opinion. Right, right, exactly. You're having something in there that's not normally you, and you're doing things you normally wouldn't do. To me, that's like a possession. Yeah, kind of, you know, it's, it's, uh, you, you would essentially, I guess you can look at it, like, say you have a heart transplant, that heart transplant is now uh, a parasite, essentially, you know, you're, you're the host to a parasite that's keeping you alive. <laughs> if you want to look at it like that, you know, as a, as a yeah. possession standpoint, you're, it's essentially a parasite and you're the host. You notice that most of these transplants and stuff that I'm reading, all the stuff has really been out of the country. Yeah, most of it has. 
Yeah, because there's 1,242 organ transplants were performed in Australia in 2015 alone. So a small number of reported cases of personality changes due to organ transplant in history worldwide raises doubts about the validity of cellular memory. Uh, funny enough, uh, one of the one of the studies, I believe, actually came from Australia as well. Interesting. So I had three links there. I'll go ahead. I'll put that. Uh, I'll put that down below too. Good reading for people. Uh, if definitely a fun topic to read about. I was. I was. I had, so I had. A, I had a real stupid thought, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, we like stupid thoughts here. Yes, we. Well, 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 the cellular memory. So the guy that got the guy that got the new hand and fingers, right? What if that other person liked to uh, play with themselves quite a bit? That's where I was going with. You got to watch out. <laughs> you got to watch. You don't know what your hands have been. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, we're going to hell. In a whole mess of trouble. We're going to hell. <laughs> Pretty well, much. Okay, so there's well, there's still a lot we don't know about the human body, which is very interesting because you know humans have been around for a long time. As interesting as cellular memory sounds, it's considered that that uh, pseudoscience. So you don't need to worry. So no need to worry if you're on Australia organ donor registry. <laughs> yeah, they they, uh, they still consider it pseudoscience. So yeah, uh, I, but there's been a lot of things that were pseudoscience that have become factual science absolutely it's also been probably more that has been disproven but that's i guess that's besides the point for the sake of argument there's been a lot of pseudoscience that was proven as factual science yeah. uh, everybody everybody's got to start somewhere with their theories exactly uh so let's uh let's turn the page uh we're going to cap that as part one because part two is probably going to be a little longer than part one because we have some really uh, cool haunted and paranormal places to talk about. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and uh, let's see, let's take a, let's take a little intermission. We have yet to have an intermission on the show. So if you have to go hit the head, do it now. I'm going <laughs> to throw our flash screen up. We'll be back in a few minutes, guys. Okay. Sounds good. Yep. All right, let's do it.
Hey guys, you ready for part two? Part two. Uh, by the way, while our intro music is running, be sure to check out our YouTube page. Yep, we are on YouTube as well. You can check us out there if you want to watch our shows after we are live here on Facebook. Uh, make sure you subscribe, like, comment, and click that notification bell on the way out to stay up to date on all of the fun happenings with Bar Talk Podcast. All right, so we're going to be here with part two now. Uh, going to bring Audrey back up, who had to reload. She'll be up in three, two, one. Bring in Bruno. Bruno, you back? Ready? Come back. Thumbs up. Ready to go back? Awesome. Bring in Bruno back up now. Oh there we go. Hey, welcome back for part two of two. Back up there. Boy, Audrey, that's a fine cup you have there. Find what? A fine cup. Here's my new cup. <laughs> Thank you, Audrey, for the new cup. I thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, so we're going to start off the second part of the show. We have three particular places that I handpicked that seem to be a hotbed for paranormal and hauntings. Um, going to cover, uh, if you haven't heard of it before, it is called the Lemp Mansion. Uh, it is in Missouri. Now, the Lemp Mansion... Uh, it's, uh, where do I even start? Uh, there was a small brewery, uh, in 1840 at a point to close where the gateway arch stands today. Uh, Lemp first sold his beer at a pub attached to that brewery in St. Louis. Uh, so they opened the Lemp's Western Brewery, uh, corporation and prospered through the 1840s into the 1850s. Uh, and essentially became major, major, so like the, the Lemp family was symbolized with wealth and power. They had a lot of money. Uh, they were a very large brewing company up until the prohibition. Uh, and that's, that's kind of when things started to go south. Bruno, have you read uh, any of the stuff I sent you about the Lemp mansion? I, I did. I did. So the, well, one of the things too is that the um, in Germany, uh, hang on, Lem Lemp family became with began with Johanna Adam Lemp, who arrived in St. Louis from Eskridge, Germany, in 1938, building a small grocery store. So they were also a grocery store as well as doing the beer. Yep. They sold common household items, groceries, and homemade beer. The light golden lager was welcome change from the darker bears that were sold in that time period. Do you think, do you think anybody bought his, uh, his recipes? Cause he supposedly had a pretty good recipe. I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially coming from, from somebody who, who was in up and coming and I'm, I'm presuming at least at one point or another, uh, was a very brilliant person. Uh, yeah. as, as uh, you guys will find out, uh, there, there's some, there's a, quite a bit of tragedy attached to the Lemp family. Right. Uh, let's see, where do we, where do we go from here, guys? Uh, 
it's it's interesting. It's interesting here, like you said, in the midst of success, the Lemp family experienced the first of many tragedies when Frederick Lemp, William Senior's uh, favorite son, and his apparent uh, and their apparent died in 1901 at the age of 28. Frederick, who had never been in extremely good health, died of heart failure. A, the devastated William Lemp was never the same, beginning on a slow withdrawal. He was really seen in public after his son's death on January 1, 1904. William's closest friend, Frederick Pabst, I'm assuming that's Pabst Blue Ribbon? I believe so, yes. Also died, leaving William indifferent to the details of running the brewery. Though he still arrived at the office each day, he was nervous and unsettled. His physical and mental health began to decline on February 13, 1904. He shot himself in the head. With a thirty-eight caliber Smith and Wesson. Yes, and uh, and and that ends up becoming a reoccurring thing through this family's history. Uh, jumping to nineteen nineteen, which to some of you who are are into your into into beer and alcohol, at least is a hobby collecting. Uh, that was when the prohibition started, right? Uh, and the individual family members were already wealthy. So they didn't have very much of an incentive to keep the, the brewery afloat. Uh, so they ended up selling their plant. Uh, they ended up selling, uh, they liquidated a lot of different assets in different buildings. Uh, and right after the prohibition in 1920, Elsa Lemp, which would uh, be William's sister, she was the wealthiest heiress in St. Louis. She shot herself like her father had done four years prior so in 1916 uh her father had shot himself as well so there's there's a lot of a lot of uh death that it is attached to all of this uh now now william had uh brothers uh charles and edwin who had left the family business many years prior uh so with william jr gone uh, the Lamp Empire I, I presumably w- had ended at that time. Uh, and Edwin entered into a life of sec- uh, seclusion at his estate. And Charles, who was never really involved in the brewery, worked in the banking and real estate fields. Uh, now, in 1943, skipping ahead quite a few years, uh, William Lamp III. Uh, he passed away early from a heart attack by the age of 42. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, the brother Charles, uh, the one who was in the banking and real estate fields, eventually remodeled the mansion, uh, which I believe I have the picture up of here. Uh, go to some of the inside pictures there. Uh, he remodeled the mansion back into a residence and lived in the house along with two servants and the illegitimate child of his brother, William. Now, the story with his brother, uh, illegitimate child of his brother, William, uh, was a little boy that was born with Down syndrome. Uh, the, the family considered him embarrassment to the family and they, he was hidden away, if I'm not mistaken, in their attic. Uh, to cloak the Lemp's family shame, and they gave him the nickname of Monkey Face Boy, which is absolutely horrible. Yeah, that is. That's bad. Uh, so Charles ends up with with uh, William's illegitimate child, as they called him. Uh, 
as he became older, he developed a morbid fear of germs, uh, had many OCDs that contributed to him wearing gloves at all times to avoid bacteria, washing hands excessively, etc., etc. Uh, and it was during that time that William's illegitimate child, now in his 30s, passed away at the mansion and he was buried at the cemetery plot and was only giving a small flat marker with the word limp on it, which was completely disrespectful. Wow. Um, it said to that, so that's said to be one of the 10 most haunted places in America. The Lemp Mansion, yes, Louis, Missouri, continues to play host to tragic Lemp family. Over the years, the mansion was transformed from the stately home of millionaires to office space, decaying into a rundown boarding house, and finally restored to its current state as a fine dinner, theater, restaurant, and bed and breakfast. Yes, uh, and there is many paranormal spots within this bed of breakfast, including uh, the staircase and into Charles's bedroom on the second floor, which on May 10th of 1949, like many others in his family before him with a 38 caliber Army Colt revolver, uh, shot himself. Uh, and before doing that, he shot his Doberman Pinscher not mistaken i think that's what kind of dog it was i uh, shot him in the basement although he was found halfway up the stairs so the dog wasn't dead uh probably when he shot himself uh but there there was a lot of a lot of tragedy within the family both uh in in committing suicide and just in how they treated uh, that poor child a lot of uh, mental health issues i would assume too it really seemed that way uh and edwin lemp uh, was really the only one that was left in that family and was pretty much the only one that didn't either die young or commit suicide. And he lived till the age of 90 and he lived until 1970. Uh, and according to his last wishes, his butler burned all of the paintings that the Lems have collected throughout his life, as well as priceless Lem family documents and artifacts. So they uh, ended up burning some irreplaceable pieces of history, uh, essentially in a bonfire. Wow. Uh, the Lemp family line died out with him, and the family's resting place can now be found in a beautiful Belafonte cemetery, I'm presuming in Missouri. So, yeah, a lot of tragedy there. Uh, I know there was uh, some professional paranormal investigators that had gone to the Lemp mansion uh, to do what it is that they do, uh, and concluded uh, it was paranormal the picture here is of the chambers underneath the house where I, i'm presuming this was where part of their brewery was i'm not sure if uh, either of you can see the pictures yeah but... I, I can't see it i can see it yeah but i, I uh, you know our, our viewers will be able to see it that's the uh that's the area underneath the home uh, that looks like a, what would appear to be the front door. Yeah, the entryway. No, I, I, I don't quite recall which one it was, but right next to the entryway, there was uh, they were using it as an office, and that is where one of them had committed suicide. Uh, oh. Three of them upstairs in a bedroom. And a little fun fact, the Lemp House was the first house with a freestanding shower. Really? interesting <laughs> there's some there's some not uh upsetting history about the limp house yeah 
but there is oh man there's so much you could actually read about there there's a lot of information out there i'm sure if you if you look up uh on youtube Lemp House paranormal investigation you will find a lot of stuff i know they do tours uh, it's a bed and breakfast so you can go and stay there but there's a there there's a there's a lot that happened it's actually uh i'm gonna link up on the page uh, it's where i got all the information from that i was looking at uh it, there's it's three pages long there's actually some pictures where you could see uh, figures in mirrors and stuff like that it's pretty neat uh links down there in the chat uh yeah imagine having that much tragedy in your family though uh, there's got to be some sort of mental mental health things going on there i would i would presume right. since you said the butler went and burned everything in like a, a, a barn fire type of deal it makes you wonder if they were into something illegal which yeah. could have caused them to be depressed and then once one died it kind of went down in the family on you know whatever the illegal act or activity was that it went down to them and it just kept going down each generation kind of deal and for some you of them, know, this is, this is a, paranormal, a paranormal type of show. So I have to bring up maybe there was something in the house that was, you know, there, there was there was taking over their minds. It could have been. I mean, like <laughs> was, all these tragedies were at that house, nowhere else. Well, you think about it this way: like if you go somewhere that's haunted and possibly has like a demon entity in it, it can latch on. So if it latches on, somebody could have brought something to the house that just never left. Possible as well. Bruno, what's your hot take on that? I mean, it is strange that everything happened in that one household to that one family. So what? what is it? You know, what's the common denominator? <laughs> could be wealth. It could have been wealth because they were very wealthy. Yeah, they were extremely wealthy. One of the wealthiest families in America, the wealthiest family at the time in, in uh, Missouri. Yeah, I like having uh -huh. skeptics go. Skeptics are a good thing. <laughs> I'm looking at both of you because you're both skeptics. <laughs> I am. I'm not. I, I'm not. Uh, you know, my wife is into the paranormal and the haunted. She loves those shows. She believes in that. I until until it actually. You know, until I see it for myself, I guess I won't believe it. Does a does she watch Ghost Adventures? She does all that. Yeah, she loves yeah, that. She's really gonna like the third place that we bring up. So we're gonna move on to number two here. Uh, second place that we're gonna bring up uh, is known as the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in West Virginia. Yeah. A lot of things paranormal and strange in West Virginia. <laughs> so that trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, subsequently the Weston State Hospital, was a was a psychiatric hospital that was operated from 1864 until 1994 by the government of the United States of West Virginia in the city of Weston. Weston State Hospital got its name in 1913, which was used while patients occupied it but was changed back to its original commission, unused name, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. 
after being reopened as a tourist attraction. Yeah. Uh, it opened its doors in 1863. Uh, it was renamed the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane, and it was a model of Thomas Kirkbride's ideals, which is a very prominent name in asylum history at the end of the 1800s, start of 1900s. Even today, a lot of people, people follow his model uh, of ideals. It could house 250 patients, each with their own comfortable room. Uh, they brought in people from Germany and Ireland to contribute to the architecture that featured wide windows, giving patients access to natural lights and fresh air, which all sounds great at first. It was designed Gothic revival and Tudor revival. Uh, in 19, or 1881, uh, due to an increase in mental health diagnosis and the stigma surrounding the disease, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum found its tranquil facilities overrun housing almost 500 more patients than they ever imagined so somewhere i would imagine around 750 patients they had you guys have a you guys have not you but close by to you guys is the the kirkbride plan which is a mental asylum uh, advocated by philadelphia mm -hmm. psychiatrist thomas Corey kilbright yep that is correct uh let's see in the 1950s, at the hospital's peak, it was holding not 250, but a little over 2,500 patients, almost 10 times, more than 10 times the number than it was actually intended to hold. Think about that many people stuffed into a hospital that was only supposed to hold 250 people. So do you, so, so do you think there was 10 people per room? I would imagine, and uh, bringing up pictures here, uh, there's one of the hallways that runs down the uh, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Uh, so there's one of the hallways there. There's one of the rooms uh, that they, a lot of people that visit will bring children's toys and put them in, in some of the specific rooms to have more paranormal activity than others uh, because there were a lot of children that passed away here. Wow. Uh, there's accounts of people putting these toys uh, and they'll take, they'll put like a masking tape circles on the floor uh, during, during tours and, and whatnot. And they will lock the room. And when they come back, they unlock the room and the toys are not where they were placed, which is it kind of, it's kind of neat. This is where <laughs> I become a skeptic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, there's somebody else going in there while those people are touring somewhere else. Exactly. There's other staff members that can easily have the key to that said room and just walk in. Like, there's no, obviously, they don't have a camera sitting in there to show you, hey, it moved all by itself. Right. So, like, I mean, I'm not saying that it definitely wasn't moved by a spirit or an entity or whatever you want to call it, but there's so many different things you can think of that, you know, can debunk it. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing the architecture of that building. It looks as if it was like a big college or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely gorgeous from the outside. Uh, the picture I have up now is of one of the examination rooms. Yes. Very, very small. Yeah. Very small. Uh, that's uh, what it appears to be one of the common rooms. I would imagine that would be on the, I guess you never know, but I would think it would be on the first floor. But just uh, even even in that picture, and I'm going to bring that up full screen. 
even that way, look at the architecture. Like look at look at the the crown moldings and the and the ceiling. It's a very beautiful room. And those nice floors. Yeah, yeah. Even uh, appears to be wow. the, the rugs are even left there, and it's it, it really is. Uh, I can imagine this place was gorgeous at one time. Again, here's the uh, outside aerial view of it. Well, it makes me wonder if, like, since it only housed 250 people, if they just started leaving people in the hallways. It's possible they could have they could have left people in the hallways. Uh, they could have turned some of the common rooms because I, I would imagine there's more than one in a building that large. They probably turned some of the common rooms into into rooms with 10, 15, 20 people in them as well. Yeah, well, that's where it comes down to. Like, I mean, you even think of nursing homes now. Like, I visited a couple to visit family members, and there's people sitting in wheelchairs and everything all down the hallway all day. Yeah, uh, we actually have... Uh, I believe it's in Whitehaven, PA. There used to be an insane, it's wow, I can't speak. Insane <laughs> asylum uh, up at the top of the hill uh, in Whitehaven, PA, and that town in and itself has a paranormal history. There's a lot of stuff that went on there uh, uh, back with a. Uh, uh, you know, it wasn't a plague. It was a, a a virus that happened in the early 1900s uh, of some sort. Uh, was it yellow fever? Did we have that here? It's something along those lines. And there was a lot of buildings in that town that were used back then to house some of these uh, people. But there was an insane asylum up on, on the hill by a restaurant up there, and that place was said to be haunted. The interesting part, the interesting part of this now is that you can't call it an insane or lunatic asylum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh, it's almost even pushing limits to call it a mental health, you know, hospital. It's almost frowned upon to call it that anymore. Right. Uh, now imagine all the people that like they they could have claimed that their loved one or a child was insane, so to speak, when maybe they were just a little hyper or something like that, had ADHD, and then they got thrown into one of these places. Well, back then, that that was considered that. Well, yeah. Your medical medical diagnosis back then was, right, people that acted strange ended up in, in, in some institution. Yeah, like... Even even back then, it's like you know, autism, for example. That's actually a pretty recent thing for doctors to properly diagnose and say it doesn't mean that they're you know out of their minds. Right. Was that was autism? How far back? How far back? If you've done any research, you know what was the first case of autism? I mean, that I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure it's been around for like ages right but like it, it, it was 1933 was the first case okay that was the first diagnosed case with autism so so back in the 1800s who knows you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i mean this place uh it started in 1864 so yeah it's it very yeah it, it yeah uh, and again, this place was open from 19 or 1864 to 1994. So well over a hundred years, this place was in operation. And for how long, you know, were they, 
were they mistreating patients there? I, it sounded like it started off good, and it probably did. Once it got overcrowded, forget it. There's so much you have. To, like, they're not going to hire people. Yeah. You know, like, they're going to have so many uh, people and patients that they have to, uh, you know, take care of and only, you know, 100 people to do it when there's how many was there? 500? Uh, well, they, 250, 250 was the regular, but there were 2,400 at one point. Yeah, so like if there's that many people, you only have 100 people as a staff to work there. You're not getting through everybody every day to make sure they're bathed and taken care of. And, you know, th th there's there's no way. Yeah, I mean, if, you know, double the amount, 500, that's kind of pushing it. Uh, you start getting, you start talking numbers like 2,000, 2,500 you know how many people you know that were staffed how many, how many what was the what was the the patient to staff ratio there i mean even a, even in a hospital you have how many people in a hospital you only have a certain x amount of doctors x amount of nurses you know when you when you when you end up in a hospital you have one nurse that's keeping their eye on you know 10 patients at any given time uh, if we have any nurses that are watching you can correct me on that but, you know, at least a handful of patients at any given time, they have their hallway or their section of numbers or what have you. Uh, so in a place like this, that long ago, you know, how many how many people would they really have watching these people, especially when it became overcrowded and it cost more to keep all of those people alive? They had to cut costs somewhere. Right. That's where it comes down to also, like, say that there's, there's like a so-called emergency or there is something happening where like say a kid with autism has a tantrum or a meltdown how many people is it going to take to take care of that one person or did they say well you do your thing we're going to go take care of everybody else yeah i mean so is it a situation you know where we're similar to like when uncle joe down at the farm's dog is real sick and is going to die so he takes him and shoots him you know it was there stuff like that going on and that's not stuff we know but it's stuff that it's completely plausible back then could have happened Right. Well, it's possible to happen now. I mean, yeah. not to back then because, you know, of all the legal percussions, it would be now. Yeah, but, it was less frowned upon probably then for something like that to happen than it would be today. Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, it, it still happens now, sadly. Yeah, yeah. So if, if it wasn't punished really back then, you know, forget it. It, it happened. Well, I guess the way I, looking, I guess the way I was looking at it back then, it, it probably wouldn't have been otherworldly to see them take one of those one of those poor people behind the building and just put a shotgun and bang. Uh, they, uh, not that I'm trying to give anybody credit, but at least they're trying to be a little more discreet about it now. Right, that, probably. Or you know, they're they're not just taking you know the person behind the building and you know popping them which feels horrible to just say it that nonchalant that they're just taking them, you know, behind you, but they, you know, that's how it was, you know, that's, that's what they did. There's still people today when their pets are sick and you know, they, they have a farm and their, their pets are kind of like tools to them. They, they use them for specific things. And you know, when, when one of your tools breaks, you throw it out and get a new one. And that's kind of the mentality that was probably going on back then. You know, if it's broken, just throw it out and we'll, you know, get another patient in here and get more money for it. Right. <laughs> and it's it's sad that it probably operated that way. It's it's borderline depressing that it operated that way. Well, that's that's, why, we, that's why we grow through history, you know? We we grow as a society and hopefully become better people than that. I'm sorry, Audrey, go ahead. 
Oh, no, it's all right. Um, that's where it comes down to, like, if, if they started getting annoyed by their patients or anything else because they were having some sort of issue or a tantrum or, you know, whatever, they could have just locked them in one room together and let them have at it. I mean, ten of Jason in one room when he's when they're all having a meltdown, he'd win. The room would be falling in, <laughs> like so. Like he'd that's what they're doing. like have them take themselves out, and then they have nothing. They didn't do anything. Yeah, they locked them in the room, but they didn't physically harm anybody. A person. Yeah, I'm, pers- sure, I'm sure they didn't take care of them like the people get taken care of nowadays. No. Oh yeah. I'm- I mean, the last time I was in a hospital was when I got diagnosed with diabetes. That's the last time I was personally in a hospital because I had to be there. They were pretty, they were pretty good. You know, it's like they were all the people that came in. It's like they were real nice. You know, no complaints. Surprisingly, yeah. in the hospital garners many, many complaints. I had no complaints. They were real, real good to me there. Right. When I was in the hospital with the gallbladder, it seemed like, you know, they were all nice and stuff right before the surgery. But after they're like pretty much trying to like throw me out the door, they're like, you're, you're done now, leave. <laughs> I wasn't even able to stand up yet. And they're like, yep, see ya, bye. I was welcome to have you back. Oh, yeah, you love the deal with me. I didn't, th- thunder. Did you I, didn't- the I didn't throw you back out after uh, you healed up. I didn't say, okay, you're good. Now get out. <laughs> Well, that's a plus. That's probably because my insurance didn't pay you. I, I reckon she's broke. Let's take her out back and shoot her. Have fun with that. All right. So uh, moving on to our final and probably will end up being the most lengthy because personally, this is one that I have heard of before and know about and has been featured on Ghost Adventures before. Uh, and this one is the Lizzie Borden house. Probably one of my favorites to talk about. It's in Fall River, Massachusetts. Well, no, that's up uh, in your neck of the woods. It is probably, it's probably like, well, where I am now is probably about three and a half hours away. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine it's probably a good seven and a half hours from us or so. Yeah, right. ways away. So it's I mean, a pretty house. It is. It's a, it's, a, it's a real pretty house. I like it. I'd stay there. <laughs> he just wants to get it. Well, it was so uh, to so to just you know getting to it as today. It's operated as a bed and breakfast. Yeah. And in in 1996, under the ownership of Martha Gwynn, who inherited the house, Martha's grandparents purchased the house on August 4th, 1948. According to Martha McGwin, the room where Lizzie's stepmother Abby Borden was found murdered is the most requested room of bedrooms at the bed and breakfast. The Fall River Historical Society promotes the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast as a tourist attraction. Yep. And uh, uh, in my opinion, a damn good one. Yeah, definitely. I I wouldn't mind visiting. I would absolutely go there. A little background on Lizzie Borden. Uh, she was obviously American, and she was the main suspect in the August 4th, 1892 axe murders of her father and stepmother in Fall River, Massachusetts. Borden was tried and acquitted of the murders. Uh, so she was tried. Uh, I, I forget how many days I read the trial actually lasted, but she was eventually acquitted of the murders, uh, never found guilty, never, I don't think she ever confessed to the murders. Uh, 
she was in jail uh, for a short amount of time while the trial was going on. Uh, she's being held during the trial. Uh, she was released and she chose to remain a resident of Fall River despite facing ostracism from the other residents. Uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts elected to not charge anyone else with the murder of Andrew and Abby Borden. Uh, she spent the remainder of her life in Fall River before dying of pneumonia, aged 66. Yeah. Uh, something interesting to note is that her sister, Emma, actually passed away nine days after, after uh, Lizzie did uh, in New Hampshire. Yep. So even even closer down the road from her sister who passed away exactly nine days afterwards, you know. Uh, let's see. I have a little more information here, and if you didn't notice by the cover of today's show, kind of hidden in there is a, a little nursery rhyme that actually exists because of the Lizzie Borden axe murders. Uh, I've got to go check a few windows because we're getting some downpours. Hang on. I'll be back in a minute. Okie dokie. The case was memorialized in a popular skipping rope rhyme. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Uh, folklore says that the rhyme is made up by an anonymous writer uh, as a tune to sell to newspapers. Others contribute to the ambiguous but anonymous mother goose, quote unquote. Uh, in reality, Borden's stepmother suffered 18 or 19 blows. Uh, the father suffered 11. And the rhyme also has a less well-known second verse, which is Andrew Borden is now dead. Lizzie hit him on the head. Up in heaven, he will sing. On the gallows, she will swing. I actually never knew there was a second portion to that. I didn't know that either. It's like, who who actually, you know, what's with the gallows portion? I mean, did they not have anything else to rhyme? Well, the, the, I guess this was prior to the case be, this was as the case was happening. Uh, oh. the, the gallows was where they stood people for hangings. Well, I know that. Okay. But I, I, I wasn't sure if you just were familiar with the term. That's well, no, that's where it was like she was she was acquitted, so that's where I was like she, you know she didn't hang for it. So I didn't know if that was like maybe written at, uh, before or after or what. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, so as the story goes, uh, in 191892, 19, uh, Lizzie brutally murdered her stepmother, Abby up in Abby's bedroom and I would imagine it doesn't take you know 13 or 14 blows with an axe to to murder somebody uh, <laughs> but uh, as the story goes uh, Abby was was murdered first between sometime between 9 a.m and 10 30 a.m uh, when she was making her bed uh, husband Andrew, shows up around 10 30 a.m uh opened a door and lay down for uh, i guess a, a nap after work and he was murdered in his sleep on the couch in the living room which is pictured below uh that's not the exact couch but that is a very very close replica couch of the one that he was murdered on uh, 
she goes up for trial, gets acquitted, continues living uh, in in Fall in Fall was it Fall River? Yep. Uh, continues living in Fall River. Uh, eventually, after the acquittal for murdering her father and stepmother in a home, she bought another house located on Seven French Street uh, in the same town. Uh, which she gave the name Maplecroft House to. And that is where Lizzie lived until her death on June 1st, 1927. Uh, the house number of 92 Second Street was changed to 230 in 1896. Uh, her and her sister, Emma, both lived in that house. Uh, there was some sort of dispute over, over uh, Lizzie holding... Uh, some sort of party for a popular actress at the time. And they had some sort of argument and sister Emma moves away and never speaks to her sister again. So that's how uh, that all pans out. I did a little more research into the family. Uh, Lizzie and Emma actually had a, a, ch a child that was born after Emma before Lizzie, a middle child who passed away when she was two years old. Uh you know what would have then been considered natural cause is what we know today is is a, a disease that happens when children are young. I I forget, I forget the name of it, but it, it was you know there was no uh, no no thoughts of murder there. Uh, let's see, Lizzie and Emma's mother, their their biological mother passes away at Lizzie's age of two. Uh, he then remarries to find somebody to take care of the household duties. Uh, Lizzie took very well to the new stepmother. Her sister Emma did not. Uh, that's a that's about where we where we rest there. Uh, they made they made a movie, obviously, in two thousand fourteen. Yes, they did. They made a movie in two thousand and fourteen. Uh, I think it debuted. Uh, oh no, it didn't debut. I'm looking at the. An episode of Supernatural that uh, it appeared in. Yeah, it appeared on Lifetime in January twenty fifth, uh, twenty fifth, two thousand fourteen. As uh, so, I guess it was TV show, not a movie. I'm sorry. There was the, it was Christina Ricci, Lizzie Borden took an axe. Okay. Uh, something else uh, kind of interesting. Uh, it was actually referenced in a post apocalyptic video game. Uh, the video game is called Fallout 4. It was actually referenced because it took place in the Boston, Massachusetts and surrounding areas. Uh, but it was actually referenced in that game. And I actually personally played that game and interacted with that portion of the game prior to actually knowing about all this stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of cool to connect the dots on that one. Yeah. Uh, now... We decided that we were going to rewatch the episode of Ghost Adventures with the, the Lizzie Borden house prior to coming on the show. We watched it a little earlier today. Yeah. And interestingly enough, they weren't the first people from the Borden family to be murdered in that house uh, or, or on, on said property. Uh, I believe. Add. Yeah, I, I believe it was. Uh, it was uh, their biological mother's uh, sister-in-law, if if I if I got the family tree going correctly. There, the biological mother's sister-in-law murdered two of her children. Uh, 
uh, one aged one, other was aged two. Uh, the third child survived. And then she went to the Lizzie Borden house and slit her throat in that house. Wow. Yeah, she went and, and tried to drown the kids in the well outside. <laughs> uh, Carla said there was a show on History Channel a while back, uh, the eight most notorious serial killers in history, and to check it out. That's something I'll probably have to check out. Uh, one, person, <laughs> one person, if we're going to talk serial killers, there's probably one person that we should absolutely bring on the show, uh, show, and that's Heather Zolik. Yeah, she needs to be part of this Halloween stuff. She's uh, <laughs> she probably knows more about serial killers than most people that I know. And hence the Queen of Gore. Uh, she's not Queen of Gore anymore. Really? What does she go by now? I don't remember. <laughs> but she's not queen of gore anymore it's the rest queen of gore sorry heather i don't i don't i don't remember what it was but i, I still am on her page and and frequently file through some of the stuff that people post is it's top stuff i'm telling you <laughs> if you're if you're into that uh, but yeah the uh the lizzie borden house we uh re-watched the episode of ghost adventures uh, rewatched some of the things that were happening during the uh, random drawers opening and closing. Uh, I don't know if you ever said if you saw that episode, Bruno, but Audrey, what was your what, what's what's your uh, take on some of the things that happened there? Are they believable? Do you think they're they're full of shit? Well, like if you saw the one portion on Ghost Adventures where where Zach is actually up in the bedroom, you can clearly see that that drawer is closed. And then he goes into the bedroom, sits on the bed, and you can hear it open, walks into the other room, and you could see on video that the drawer is completely open. And he actually pulls the drawer out to see if it was rigged or anything, because, you know, there's a lot of places that will, you know, oh, we're haunted, but then everything's mechanically rigged. But he pulled the drawer out and everything, there was nothing there. And you actually then put the drawer out. It's uh, it's worth noting that the video that was shot was a continuous loop, and there's only one way in and out of that room, and it was on video the whole time. Yes. So that, that part there's something to that. It. I definitely do. Um, the the whole thing with EVPs, I believe in. Like the the ghost paranormal portion, I I am not a skeptic. I'm not a full out believer either, but. You know, I question everything. But when, when it comes to this house, it actually seems like there's something to it. it might... Yeah, it seems, seems like there was some sort of substance there. Yeah, the one thing that interested me the most was um, the woman that was on the show. I guess she was either a psychic medium or I don't remember. Um, she actually had a theory as to why Lizzie killed her father and her stepmother. So apparently, like, her theory is that, like, the father actually either molested or, you know, had sex with his daughter, which and caused her mental distress. And then she broke and maybe the stepmother turned a blind eye, eye to it, you know, and she took she finally flipped, knocked her, you know, killed her and then killed her father when he came home and called it a day. Yeah, I have they, another theory on that too. 
they, they said through even through the trial, they said she was completely emotionless. She still could have been shocked from everything that happened to her just originally, like if she was molested or raped. Or just that cold to the situation because she felt like she was vindicated. Yes. But I do uh, have that I didn't share with Brian yet. Let's hear. Now, the sister was, you said, supposedly didn't get along with the stepmother. Yes. What happens if it was the sister, Emma, I think her name is, and then Lizzie was accused but didn't say anything? Maybe she knew? If I'm not mistaken, I, I think she checked out. I don't even think she was in the state when that happened. I don't know for sure. Like, that's where it's like, I, I, from what you said before, she didn't like the stepmother. She didn't get along with her. I don't know to what extent, whether they fought or. From, from what I read, uh, I don't have the, it's not in any of the notes that I sent either of you guys. It was something I looked up after that. Uh, and I don't have it in front of me right now. So don't quote me. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they said that Emma kind of held everything. So her, her sister Lizzie didn't catch on to it her her thoughts on her weren't you know changed by it i was more resentment because she was playing mother figure to lizzie until this woman came into the picture and it became a lot of resentment that that was happening uh, what happened to, what happened what happened to the original mother uh she passed away naturally she had uh, some sort of yeah she, she had some sort of uh, infection or disease I, I remember reading it i just don't remember what it was but it, it wasn't uh it wasn't murder or anything of that sort yeah, I think it was called uterine congestion or something like that. That's what it was. Exactly what it was. Yeah, but that, that's where my theory came from, though, is that, like, you know, she's seeing that her mother's being replaced by a woman that she probably possibly never even met before. And then she was taken over on the duties on her sister, you know, taking care of her and everything. So there's more resentment there. So there could have been arguing, fighting the whole nine yards, and then she could have just flipped. Yeah, and that's that's completely possible. Uh, if, like I said, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I think her affidavit said she wasn't even in the area, and that all checked out. Yeah, but how easy could I have said, you know, back then that I was, you know, sitting at Bruno's house when you got murdered? <laughs> like, well, seriously, in all seriousness, back then, I could have said I was out there. I could have written a, a letter to Bruno saying, hey, anybody else? I was at your house. Yeah, I mean, uh, forensics weren't a thing back then, really, at least not in the way we know them today. Yeah. So that is entirely possible. Uh, I, I know they had they had uh, the dress she was wearing at the time was part of evidence. It was covered in blood. And from what, what were the reported accounts, she actually broke out into hysterical laughter uh, when they brought it up for uh, when they brought it up as evidence. Well, that's also could be considered hysterical because you walk in, you find your parents dead on the, you know, one on the couch, one on the floor. You go over to check if they're okay. You know, obviously they're not okay, but you go over anyway because you're in shock. You can easily get covered in blood. Now, uh, another thing to take into account is the, the maid in the house was also home as these murders were happening and claimed to have not heard a thing. Yeah, that's a little suspicious. It's maybe, maybe she was in on it with the person, or maybe she did it herself. And she uh, she claimed to to no end that it wasn't Lizzie, and she was the one that confirmed that Emma wasn't even in the state. 
uh, but said that Lizzie wasn't, you know, wasn't, she walked in and found it is what she said. Well, it's not like that house is like three blocks long or anything. So, I mean, how did she not, you know, the maid not notice that, you know, the people she worked for were dead? Yeah, I, I mean, let's see, let's roll through the pictures. That looks like it's a... Right. The house is not that very big. It's like, I mean, it's big, but I mean, it's not ginormous. It's not like a huge man thing. Yeah, I mean, shit, it's probably bigger than ours. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, from her, like, if she's doing her maid duties, she's going to be all over the house. Like that's probably uh, I would I would imagine that's probably like a, a five a five bedroom. Yeah, about yeah. Not, not yeah, probably not including the attic. Probably a five bedroom because it's uh, it looks like it would be about the size of two half doubles, and most half doubles are usually two or three bedrooms. Right. Not about right, Bruno. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the windows that are there, you got four, two, four. Five, there's five windows per each floor, so yeah, on the side, yeah. So, I, I would imagine you know, probably like five, maybe six if they were smaller bedrooms, probably five, right. I would think, you know. So, you know, it, it's not it's not like a 25 bedroom mansion, but it's not you know, your little half double or a ranch house either. Yeah, uh, where it comes down, thinking, uh, where they where they found, I was cycling through the pictures kind of quick, uh. Sorry, people watching. Uh, just trying to to look at some of the things going on in the rooms. If I'm not mistaken, this picture right here, uh, where where the uh, sofa is, is in the first room in the house when you walk through the front door. Like uh, yeah. there's a you can see a fireplace and a little table next to it, and I'm pretty sure that yeah. the front door is to the right of that. And yeah. That's where the father, that's where the father laid down and took a nap and eventually was murdered. So she walked right past the father who was sleeping and went and found Abby first. I'm guessing because she would think that Abby would have heard her killing her father and then come down and something may have transpired because of it. So she went to find her first, possibly. Uh, yeah, thoughts? Uh, that's plausible. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, I mean, if it, if it wasn't Lizzie, the only other two that I would think would possibly do it would probably be like the maid or the sister. Yeah, when they were going through suspects, uh, they went through the sister immediately, you know, wasn't her, went through the maid, no, wasn't her. <laughs> uh, the one other person they looked at, uh, I believe was an uncle that lived next door to them. Remember, they were high society back then in that area. Yeah, uh, they they had they were a wealthy family. As a matter of fact, after she was acquitted and they received their inheritance at Lizzie Borden's uh, death, she was worth. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I kn I know what it was in with what inflation is today. Uh, she was worth over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which today uh, is equivalent to about five million dollars. Wow. Uh, so she owned a house on the corner of French and Belmont Street, several office buildings, shares in several utilities, two cars, a large amount of jewelry. And what I found very interesting is she left what it would be worth $10,000 today in trust for perpetual care for her father's grave, though she supposedly killed him. Uh, wow. 
She also left uh, the equivalent of about six hundred thousand uh, dollars to the Fall River Animal Rescue League. Uh, left money to her closest friend and a cousin, who each received what would be worth one hundred twenty thousand dollars today, uh, and just a, a bunch of money to numerous friends and family, ranging between what would be worth twenty thousand and a hundred thousand today. So she she definitely spread the wealth when she passed away, which I, I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, it was <laughs> interesting. Well, she, she killed her father. She was already acquitted. She couldn't be tried again for it. Why would she have left that kind of money to take care of her father's grave? You know, if if they pretty much assumed already that she was guilty and she, you know, it doesn't make sense that she would have taken care of her father's grave if she killed him and, and held that much hostility towards him enough to drive an axe into him 11 times. Right. You know, what did she feel sorry for it later in life? That's not something any of us would know. It's something only only Lizzie Borden would know. My one question is, is it at the cemetery? I don't know if you have a picture of the graves or not, um, but is it one of like the bigger family plot graves? Like where it, it has like maybe her her biological mother buried there, too, because that could be why she wants it to be maintained. Uh, we are looking at other might be buried there could be we're getting pictures now we're looking yeah because that would make more sense like say that she did do it and the only reason why she wanted the grave to be up maintained is because the whole you know the gravestone is for the whole family not just for the father so maybe you know the mother's buried there okay let me see if i could actually read this uh, oh wow actually looks like their gravestone gets uh vandalized quite a bit <laughs> that's actually interesting you think uh how many years later people would just let it go no, okay. just they, have, uh, they have on the big gravestone uh they have the three daughters on one side uh, hold on, where'd they go? They're here somewhere. I know they are. Here we go. Alice Esther Borden, uh, 1856 to 1858. Uh, Elizabeth Andrews Borden, 1860 to 1927. And Emma Lenora Borden, 1851 to 1927. So they are on one side. Then we have, uh, where's the other side of it? I did. I, I did have the other side of it. It's somewhere. Uh, <laughs> it does say on the tombstone, Andrew and Sarah Borden. I uh, can't find. I can't actually find if the other one is also buried here. If they're all together, they could. They could be. That's a that's a little too far for me to drive and find out. <laughs> But yeah, that could be why if the the biological mother. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, we have Andrew Jackson Borden, uh, 1922, 1822 to 1892. I think that's what it says. 18, 19, yeah, something, something like that. Then we have Sarah Anthony Borden, 1823 to 1863. Uh, and Abby Dufree Borden, 
92. Uh, yeah, it, it says it has his name and then it has his wife and his wife again. So yeah, they were they were both buried with him. Okay, so yeah, like that that was technically the family plot. And if it's one whole gravestone, not only is she taking care of her own gravestone, she's taking care of the rest of her families, including her siblings. And yeah, her- but it was specifically set aside for her father was how it was. But if the gravestone and the gravesite is on a family plot. I know. I get that. I get that. But it was specifically pointed out that it was set aside to take care of her father's gravesite. Right. Well, is that the way because it was the family plot bought by the father? No, no. It was worded that there was X amount of money to take care of her father's gravesite with exactly how it was worded. So was that just kind of like a final swerve on people to be like, yep, I'm going to take care of my father's gravesite. None of the other ones knowing that the whole gravesite was going to be taken care of was like that, like a last jab at people or. Right. Right. It was right. Exactly. Cause like you said, a lot of people didn't, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of freaky stuff, man. Uh, I actually, I actually have uh, three pictures from the original case. I have three pictures. Uh, I will post them up. This portion uh, is a little graphic, guys. A little, little bit graphic. So, a little around, you might want to just coax them out of the way here. Yeah, close your eyes. Uh, this one is is of Abby Borden uh, that's in the bedroom where they had found her Uh, you think I should blow this up a little bigger yeah probably I I can see it but it it is a little small I still have to wait to see it on my iPad there you go it's hard to see it there's too much there's too much uh Okay, well, I, I blew... that's supposedly the that's supposedly her stepmother on the floor. Yes, uh, that that would be the uh, stepmother on the floor. Uh, go ahead and push through to the next picture, which is uh, another angle of her stepmother on the floor. Like from uh, behind, it looked like she was like propped over like pillows or something. Kind of. Uh, she was supposedly in the process of making her bed. Uh, when when all of that had happened, maybe she had a blanket or something in her hands or whatnot. Uh, but that is uh, photo number two. Uh, and the last photo I have uh, would be of her father on the couch, which I'll go ahead and bounce to now. But yeah, it's a uh, pretty pretty gnarly stuff. But the the couch they currently have in it's actually. Pretty damn close uh, to to what that one was. But yeah, I'm, I'm matching it. To, 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 what's got to be going through your head to put an axe through somebody that many times? And that is one of the things uh, the Ghost Adventures brought up. They thought that there was some sort of dark entity over this house that was causing people to just kill each other because there was a there was again there was a lot of a lot of history in murders in this house. You know, so so what actually caused all of that to to transpire? You know, there was there was a couple various incidents that had happened. I'll go ahead and get rid of this now. 
Uh, Bruno, final thoughts on the on the Lizzie Borden house. Uh, do you think it's haunted? Uh, could be. <laughs> I like how everybody wants to be in the room where she murdered her mother. Yeah. <laughs> her I mean, you walk into a room where, where something bad's happening, you, you feel it, you know? You could you could feel that something's not right. The the question is, yeah, I I'm still one of the skepticals. I don't know. I'd have to. I guess I have to go there and uh, stay at the bed and breakfast and report back. Should we, uh, <laughs> should, we, should, we uh, should we organize this one day? <laughs> Bruno, bring your bring your wife. I'll bring Audrey, and we'll go stay at. The- <laughs> exactly, we should do that. <laughs> I'm. Uh. I'm game to that. would be pretty fun. Yeah, if we get scared and we want to go home, we'll just go to Bruno's and have a, you know, sleepover. At <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, so all right. Well, uh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get rolling here because I get an early morning tomorrow. So, cool, interesting stuff. Not 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 pretty say not per se my topics, but very interesting to learn. Like especially that transplant stuff. That is very interesting. I have a few friends that have had transplants or have been given kidneys and stuff, I'm going to have to ask them if they have any, if they felt any changes. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me know. Cause I'm genuinely curious. Yep. Yeah. That is very interesting. So learn something tonight. All right. Well, you guys have a good night. We'll catch up with you. you as so, well. It was nice. Uh, nice having you on. Hope everybody's doing well. Yeah, I'm glad I'm back. Yeah, I mean, my, my dad, like I say, my dad's still not doing very well, but at least he's pain. You know, we've got some pain-free management now, and he's uh, and he's uh, resting comfortably, and we'll just see how long that that goes. So, I, I appreciate all the well wishes and uh, and checking in on me. Oh, no problem at all. Cool. You guys have a good rest of the weekend. Talk all right. Take care, bud. All right, and then. There were two. Uh, Audrey, any any last thoughts on on the Lizzie Borden house? Um, there's so many theories that you can go through. I mean that that can take a while. I mean it can come down to even conspiracy with the mur- uh, murders and stuff like that. If you really want to get into that, um, um, uh, yeah, probably not tonight. <laughs> probably not tonight. But I'll, I'll just put this out there. Since the maid didn't hear anything, quote unquote, maybe she was in on it with the sister. They conspired against Lizzie. I don't know. Maybe they were conspiring against somebody else and it just backfired and Lizzie was blamed. It's possible. So, yeah, there's just a lot of things you can think of that can happen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You think it's haunted? Yes. I do, too. Never mind what naysayer bruno says it's haunted <laughs> now if we actually go there we'll, we'll see what he does we'll have to document it oh, i wouldn't heartbeat you know <laughs> I, we'd have to uh we'd have to leave very early on a saturday morning and probably only be able to stay there a night but what are you gonna do i would love to see jason in a haunted house no kid well we remember when we went to Knobles and he went through oh yeah the haunted house oh that was funny that was epic. It was, it was so funny that I almost felt really bad, but it was too funny to feel bad, but I still felt bad. If that makes yeah. sense. Does that make I sense? Still go through there. Bridget was even funnier. Ooh. Really? 
yeah well she she went on with my dad she went through there and she was like almost in tears by the end of the, the end of the haunted house now ah. for for those of you that were never at Knobel's haunted house when they like string like the you know bats and stuff down that try to scare you, you could literally see the lines that they're hanging off of <laughs> I, I as, a, as a kid you don't but well, when i was a kid i was about bridget's age so that's around you know seven eight years old yeah. i went into the haunted house i don't know if it was with my dad or my stepdad but i went into the haunted house and something literally grabbed my hair while we were going and it like yanked on it <laughs> and like i mean it was like the back of my head pulled it not like just a little like oh one hair got stuck on something it was like a whole chunk yeah and i came out of there i was like i'm never going in there again and i never did oh man well i think we're gonna i think we're gonna cap the uh, night here uh carla nancy was nice seeing both of you carla it's been a while so glad you uh showed up uh and watched always nice to have you uh have you in the chat on the show nancy you're always here appreciate it uh thanks uh audrey thank you for coming on bruno thanks for coming on uh all right so, uh, just to, just as a refresher uh we are on iHeartRadio now uh the old farmhouse we lived in was haunted always said it was that's what carla said do you still have the old farmhouse? That could be fun. Yeah. Uh, hey, we're on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google Podcast. Uh, we're we're on the uh, the Apple Apple iTunes podcast. Uh, we're on Spotify. We're on Overcast. We're on Breaker. We're on a whole bunch of things. If you check out Anchor.fm, front slash Bar Talk Podcast, you can find all the platforms we are currently on. I do not think our Heart Radio is listed, but I will make a post specifically for that because that is the number one place to find your podcast according to all the advertisements for it uh you can find us on youtube make sure you like comment subscribe share uh click that notification bell on youtube on the way out you can stay up to date on all of our live shows we put up there all of our pre-taped shows and more fun things to come in the future uh Boy, don't think I have anything else to add except make sure you sign up for our Halloween costume contest. Uh, all you have to do is email bar, uh, I think it's just bar podcast 2020 at gmail.com. Email pictures, email your name, email what your costume is. Uh, please, no nudity. Uh, be over 18 if you're going to submit photos. You can enter two out of the three contests. Uh, we are doing scary, hot, and most creative. So definitely, definitely enter for those. Uh, oh man, they don't have the 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 haunted old farmhouse anymore. Uh, oh man, there was a military camp for the Union Army there. That's actually really, really interesting. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, Halloween costume contest bar podcast twenty twenty at gmail. Uh, pictures, you know, no just face shots. Uh, we went full body, no nudes. Uh, Tell us what the costume is, your name, pictures, et cetera, et cetera. You can enter two out of three. I think I said all this, but I'm saying again because I got off track. Uh, I think that's pretty pretty much it uh, for now. Uh, we're probably going to be running it on the 24th, so that's about 14 days away. That's enough time for you guys to shoot us some pictures. Uh, we are doing giveaways. Uh, we didn't fully come to what we're going to be doing as far as prizes prizes uh we do know that they're going to be at least a 25 dollars gift card or a prize that nobody's going to know what it is until they win and they have the option to take the prize or the gift card uh so there's that 
uh, we don't want to sway any people's category entries based on what those prizes may be. So we're just going to keep them a big freaking surprise until everybody signs up. Uh, I think that's about it. Audrey, any last words? Anything at all? Good deal. Good deal. All right. I'm going to drop you off here and we are going to hit the music as soon as I get it loaded up. So uh, again, Audrey, thanks for coming on. Always nice having you. And uh, I'll see you in like three minutes. Okay. Sounds good. All righty. See you soon. All right, guys. Uh, once again, thanks for watching Bar Talk Podcast. This was episode eight, where we discussed creepy and unexplained and the paranormal, paranormal and the haunted. Uh, see you guys next time at the bar. Mm-hmm.